Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Hey, no name-calling here. Just differing opinions going head-to-head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. It is Counterpoint. we got a lot to get through, so let's get right to it. we got Jillian Smith, who is with Hill & Knowlton Strategies. Hello there. Hello. And we got Miriam Denis, Daisy Consulting Group. Good to have you back. Back into the lion's den. Um, so late tonight, we hear Moody's downgrading Ontario's credit rating, which I think makes a lot of people yawn. But it is actually very important to our bottom line because it really hurts all of us. Um, you know, a lot can be blamed, I think, on the last government fairly. But the agency itself had kind of taken a wait and see approach with the Ford government, hoping to get an idea of which direction they were going to be moving in. And obviously they looked at the fall uh, economic statement and they don't like what they see. They don't like the big deficits, but they're more concerned, I think, because they don't see the potential for investment in this province. What's your take on this, Julian? So uh, any downgrade is is important because what it basically means is it costs the government more money in interest to borrow more money in order to keep services going. So uh, it's it's just like your home credit rating. Um, so I think the comfort we should all take as Ontarians is the president of the Treasury Board, Peter Bethenfalvy, yeah. was the president of DBRS, and he himself initially downgraded Ontario's credit rating back in 2009. So there is no team that's more aware of how important this file is than the one we have right now. But the fact of the matter is, as they said, like we've had 15 years of getting ourselves into this situation and to pull ourselves out of it too quickly actually upends the entire enterprise. So you, you don't want to create a self-inflicted wound in the economy by doing things too quickly. So I think you should be looking ahead to the spring budget. I think you should be listening to what uh, Peter and Vic Fideli are saying about uh, modernization and all of the other initiatives they have in place where they're really trying to do the business of government differently. Those pay dividends, but it takes time. Yeah, I mean, Peter, Peter Bethlehem Falvey is um, unknown here in Ontario, but he is extraordinarily um, versed in this area. So I do actually trust him a lot to, to navigate our way through this. But the problem is we can't invest in anything, but how do you make Ontario a place that people want to do business, given all the things against us. You know, we're competing against America's ta- low tax rates. Energy costs are through the, the roof. How do you get investment in this province? Um, I agree with you that there are certain challenges. Um, indeed, energy costs, and especially if you compare with the U.S., uh, where Donald Trump cut the taxes a lot. And even on, in some respects, a lot of people say that Quebec is a better place to do business in than Ontario at the moment. Um, but I do think that we have, you know, we have a very good work workforce, especially in fields like uh, science, technology, mathematics. Uh, we have a lot of graduates from very good university for especially for things like startups, fintech, these kind of things. So I do think there's a good, you know, potential when you look at, at the future. But I agree, uh, any kind of downgrading of our credit rating is just as bad as if your personal credit score goes down, which means next time you need a line of credit at the bank, it will cost you more money just on the interest rate. And that's that's not positive in any way. Yeah, especially given situations is volatile. We don't know what's going to come in the new year, but we are hearing that R word an awful lot. And so my concern is there ain't going to be anything, you know, kind of in the cookie jar should we need it. 
you know, because we're just leveraged in every direction. Right Cookie now. jar has been empty for 15 years. Yeah. Um, and late today, we also hear it just actually came out in a Global News uh, exclusive uh, tonight that the Ford government's actually going to be changing the rules on brick and mortar pot stores. And the big issue is supply. And this just came out, uh, but they do want to avoid issues at Ontario stores. So they decided that starting April 1st, they're going to phase in stores. So only 25 stores will be opening in the province. And the rest are going to have to pick through lottery. I'll start with you on this. There have been so many concerns. We're hearing them at the municipal level where, you know, municipalities are saying, yeah, we're not ready. We're not sure. This may actually be a, a smarter idea. I kind of agree with that because if you've been following what has been going on um, elsewhere in the country, like for instance in Quebec, it was it was kind of ridiculous. All the stores were empty, so they had to. The stores were originally opened, you know, seven days a week, and at some point they were like, "It's only going to be four days a week from now on." And you know, so I feel like it's actually good that in Ontario we had a few months to look around us, look at the other provinces, see what happened. So I think it's a good idea to change. Um, change course and go start slow and then grow up, which is what you would do if you were, you know, starting your own business. So I feel like it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the bottom line is, Jillian, this was dumped on the provinces to deal with. The federal government kind of gets to take its hands off. So I'm sure the Ford government will get blamed for this, but they didn't have the supply. I don't know how they didn't have the supply ready. I mean, this has been in the works for how long? Well, well, exactly. It's stunning to me. So either we've got a nation who is just desperate to get their (laughs) hands on pot, but I'm not seeing it on every corner. So I don't know what's the mismatch in the market here. Well, yeah, I mean, well, I'll tell you is that people are sticking with their dealer because there's been so many problems with getting it in the mail and then there was supply issues. I think people are just sticking with Doug in the parking lot, not Doug, just a guy named Doug or whatever, (laughs) Joe or whatever, but they're, they're sticking with who they who they could trust. I I would not know. <laughs> I'm looking at you. I will trust you. you know, I do not know either. But <laughs> well, I, I, I don't, I don't so. know either. I'm just saying they must be getting it somewhere because we're not seeing uh, you know the the mutiny quite yet. Um, this story is uh, I think becoming problematic. Well, it is a problem story. Julian Fal- Falkner, who we've been talking about, one of the best lawyers in this country, he has got his sights set on Premier over his calling uh, his uh, comments over sour grapes on the hiring of of um, Mr. Tavner. This is a problem for Ford, Jillian. I'll start with you on this because it it targets his brand. You know, he campaigned on not being like the last guys. And look, this might be all above board. This might be just Tavner was the guy. This all worked out. But the problem in politics, as you know, it comes down to optics. So I think Falconer is doing an excellent job for his client, the interim OPP commissioner. So he's doing his job effectively on that side of it. And what I can say is, uh, you know, this is uh, this is a gentleman who was selected unanimously by a panel that consisted of the head of the Ontario Public Service, the secretary to cabinet, the deputy minister of public safety and the headhunter that they had involved. Uh, and the government, Minister Jones, uh, the minister for correct, um, uh, public safety, has, has said, look, we, we respect the decision of the ombudsman uh, uh, and of the integrity commissioner. Should they launch investigations, we will cooperate. So let's see what happens. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, but the narrative is out there. Uh, you've worked in politics. It's hard for the Ford government to kind of rein this back in and get back on their feet and back to their messaging. Of course, yeah, you can put the genie, the genie back in the bottle, you know. And I feel like in politics, like in many other uh, other kind of situations, you need not only do you need to avoid any conflict of interest, but you need to avoid any appearance of conflict of interest. It's the same thing. Let's say you're a judge and you have a case that falls on your lap, and one of the parties is someone you know, one of your friends, or you know, the sister of your wife. 
well, you cannot just say, oh, don't worry, I will not let my judgment be tainted by the fact that I know this person. No, you need to recuse yourself to avoid any kind of appearance of impropriety. I feel like it's the same with a, a position um, as important as um, a chief of OPP. You, If you know that person, whether it's your best friend or whether it's, you know, friend of a friend or friend of my wife or whatever, I think it's kind of best to just avoid the appearances and sure i mean look there there's no question there's politics being played on every angle here whether it's the upper echelons of the opp playing it certainly the opposition's playing it that's their job but critics will play it too that's why ford's got to be more careful i think than anybody and they know that they cannot make missteps because this is like a death by a thousand cuts i mean Mm -hmm. they are doing stuff but they're getting caught on this and nobody talks about the good news while we're talking about that so which is what the opposition wants and so their Mm -hmm. goal would be to create the image of a government in chaos. That would be their goal. And and it's incumbent on, on the on the government to navigate their way through this and make sure that people understand that they've uh, they've checked all of the boxes appropriately along the way. Do you think they've done a good job? I think that they are working, you know, they they are. I mean, the, the, the substance of it is good. I mean, they've gone through a process that they were transparent in their process. Uh, and now there are questions being raised. They've said, hey, look, if, uh, if there are questions being raised, if these are going to go to the ombudsman or the integrity commissioner, we'll be, we'll be part of it. Last word, you? Um, I kind of stand by what I said. I feel like any kind of appearance of impropriety is already too much. And I agree that a process was followed, but I think we also need to keep in mind that the process was modified so the criteria would be broadened, which is, it already does not look super good, you know? <laughs> well, in that instance, what they said is there are fewer than half of the applicants that actually met like the criteria. Them, yeah. Yeah. But it's yeah. for a top job, which maybe maybe makes sense to have such high criteria and, you know. Well, well, look, it was it was Fantino himself who said you, you don't actually have to worry about the, it, the ranking doesn't matter as much. Um, mm-hmm. but, you know, he was a top cop with the OPP. Um, but again, I guess we'll wait and see on this one. They're, they're very lucky that a Christmas break. Has oh, come. yes. Okay. That will put the pause button and they can kind of catch up on this. Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. It is round two here of Counterpoint. We got Jillian Smith and Miriam Denny uh, weighing off on a whole bunch of issues. And look, if you want to turn the page on a crisis, there is nothing better than the distraction of possibly being able to buy booze in corner stores. And uh, the Ford government has launched a survey um, as they look into modernizing alcohol sales, which means they are looking to put booze in corner stores. And I think an awful lot of people will be very excited to be treated as an adult. You good with this? I totally agree. Um, I'm from Quebec, where we sell alcohol in corner stores, and I to ne- everyone. It's awesome. You're a teenager, <laughs> to you're going over to Quebec. 18. But I've never understood why it was such a big deal in Ontario, and why people were having so many strong and differing opinions the about it. Yeah, well, that's true. And growing up in Ottawa, we go across the go across the bridge to the Dépanneur and yeah. pick yeah. up what we wanted there. Yeah, I feel like what's important when you think about restricting alcohol sales to minors and reducing the risk is much more things like the price of the alcohol and you know the minimum age to to drink. I don't want my I don't want teenagers to be able to buy booze when they're fourteen or you know something like that. But if it's done responsibly, like in Quebec, you know people are not dying 
out of their drunkness on the streets just because they can buy booze in the, at the corner store. Right. But it is a very big political issue because while it's fantastic, I think it's a great opportunity for independent, uh, you know, corner stores. And they do a very good job at checking identification for cigarettes and that. Uh, but it's a union issue. The unions do not want to let this go. But if if market forces demand it, then you've you've got to listen. And for years we've been saying why why is it that we we have to buy this product in this way? Well, I mean, we were this is a hangover from well, it's a hangover from back from prohibition era. Yeah. I mean, we're we're beyond that now. It's time for it's time for change. I, I welcome the change. It'd be nice just to be able to grab a bottle of wine. Uh, you know, if you run out of I, to me, it's just it's never made sense. But again, uh, you know, the last few governments have been trying to appease. The, you know, the labor unions. And so it never changes. We'll see where it goes. I think in news that will not shock anybody, a majority of Quebecers are not prepared to pay more for gasoline due to a carbon tax. So in principle, they're in favor of putting a price on GHGs. But when you look at the survey, when it the survey, when it uh, you know comes time to pay, their opinion changes and only... <laughs> Only 2% of Quebecers polled said, yep, we'll pay that carbon tax. So, you know, it's it's all, they're talking out of both sides of the mouth. Or well, do they, or do they do, maybe they want Alberta to pay it, which would not <laughs> surprise me at all. <laughs> I do think every time you do a political survey, you have these kind of crazy results. Like, for instance, I don't know, you ask... You ask someone on the phone, oh, would you like to have more affordable university tuition? Yes. Would you like to have uh, more government daycare? Yes. Would you like to pay more taxes? No. Well, it's like, okay, that doesn't make much sense. I feel like in every political survey, you get these kind of um, answers. And um, also right now in Quebec, people, when you put gas um, at the gas station, there's already a lot of uh, a lot of fees that go to the cap and trade system. So maybe... I don't know exactly how the the question was voiced. Maybe the question maybe the question was, would you be willing to pay more than you're already paying for the cap and trade? And maybe yeah. people were like, oh no, but I think we're paying enough, and I'm okay with paying it. But I think that's enough, like that. Um, it, well, do, way, it does. The way it, does it was depend. phrased. Yeah, so I mean, it always was, depends how the the, the questioning yeah, always matters. And, and so the response that came back said, "Yeah, we're okay with a carbon tax," but they said, "How effective would it be? How effective would mm-hmm. this uh, level of taxation be?" And then when it came back that you actually had to have an extraordinarily high level of taxation in order to affect real change on the file, on the carbon tax file, they said, "Well, hang on a second. And then also take into consideration that Quebecers pay fifty nine percent income tax right now. I mean, they are the they are the most heavily taxed. Yeah, but they, province. they do get a lot. But but uh, yeah, the no, polling's not. So but this different. is where gilet jaune comes from. The yellow right. vest. Mm-hmm. Uh, this yep, is where yep, the resentment yep, yep. comes from. Mm-hmm. So you cannot not take that into account. No, but it also there was recent polling done. You know, on this issue, I think in in Ontario, where even on, they don't people want to do their part. But what they don't want to do is pay for it because, again, we're so heavily taxed and feed and told and on every other level, people are starting to reject this progressive, uh, you know, these progressive ways. And I think it's a mistake for this government to ignore what's happening in the streets of France. I mean, this is being exactly. rejected. I do, I do think you need to pay attention to what's, what's going on in France right now. And I think it could happen, you know, anywhere. Um, I think, for instance... Um, sometimes people kind of say, especially if you, you know, for instance, let's say you live in Montreal, public transit is amazing. 
And but let's say you go in the suburbs, then it's like, oh, it's not amazing, but it it exists. It's kind of like more or less good. And then when you go, you know, really in rural parts of Quebec, you it's know, there's nothing. But the same thing in big cities like Toronto, exactly and anywhere outside of Toronto, whether it's Hamilton, whether it's Oakville, Burlington, you go to Richmond Hill. There's no train. They don't have those options. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I feel like some people are like, I don't mind paying more money for gas, but can you give me better public transit? Right. Can you make it possible if I live in Laval, which is maybe the equivalent of, you know, Mississauga, can you make it possible for me to live there with my family and we can live without a car, which right now, I think it's probably not 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 very much possible. You can get so. dog sledding in Quebec. They get the snow fart, <laughs> you know? But bottom line, look, I, I thought I thought it was a bit rich when Quebec said, yeah, no, we're not paying for more, just given the conversations I've been having of, course, yeah. of late with the transfer payments and all the rest of it. Um, he was elected on his sunny ways. But we're now into thir- the third year of this liberal government. We're now into officially campaign mode, which we've been in for about two years. Um, and we've got a country that is very divided. Alberta's talking separation, and it's it's turning into more than talk. It's actually getting quite frightening now. We've got Ottawa fighting with almost every province. We've got a number of countries irritated with us. We've you know angered Australia. India wants nothing to do with us. China is now after us. Uh, the list goes on and on. We've got massive deficits. We've got pipelines not getting built. I, I'm just, that's just a few things. But listen to Tony Chapman about, you know, does his brand survive? Can he run on his brand? Everything that's happened over the last little while, the deficit, the, the taking on small business, ethics issues, finance minister forgetting to report a villa, uh, now as, as cronies moving money offshore instead of helping to move the Canadian economy, all of this stuff is adding up. And now people are saying, hey, he was supposed to be for us. He, he, the, the narrative, the Robin Hood narrative, sounds like now he's actually taking from the poor and giving to the rich. And when that happens, when your promise moves that far, it can't, you can't help but damage it. Yeah, it's about optics. And so you can say sunny ways, but I, maybe I'm just too partisan to say, it, but I don't think Canada's very happy right now. Just I feel a division and an anger. No, I totally agree with you on, on a lot of the points that you raised. Um, I do think, for instance, when you look at what's going on right now with Quebec and Alberta, I think François Legault, I, I'm, I'm really pissed that he, that, he, that he said what he said, you know, that, uh, oh, we don't like this dirty, you know, oil from Alberta. We would rather the Saudi Arabia dirty uh, blood, you know, blood oil. Yeah, I do think that he, that was, you know, Alberta and Quebec alone and that Justin Trudeau, you know, he, he was not really involved in that part. But for a lot of other things you said, and also I feel like a lot of time when Justin Trudeau talks, it really like tugs down on people mm-hmm. and you feel like you're mm-hmm. always right. you're always getting a lesson as if you were, you know, late for class when you're in high school or disc, something disc. like that. Exactly. And that's that's just Justin Trudeau. A lot of his ministers, they're not like that. They actually talk in a dignified manner, but for whatever reason Who? Mm. I'm trying to think. Would it be uh, Melanie Jolie? I mean look, I, I I think they have um like the image I think was was built in but but when you go under the surface of that image it's not there there's nothing to it and so how would you run a campaign well i'll start by saying i've been immune to the charms of our pm from the beginning so Uh it's uh and 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 the high rhetoric has uh, the the real work has fallen so far short of the high rhetoric that there there can't help but be disappointment and not to mention just to jump in a year from now this picture could look a lot different if nothing's changed and the economy's getting worse they're going to have to run on that that's their record absolutely and uh, and who wishes for that who wishes for a downturn in the economy certainly i don't 
Um, but uh, you know they've really got to start focusing if they if they're if they're intent on winning they've got to start focusing on what they've really done for Canadians because what, which they've is what? missed like well, what have it. they done well they've missed the mark that's the thing so you know they've got they've got a very short amount of time if they want to to turn around but uh, I don't see how they're going to do it can I ask you if I had to say what would their top three accomplishments be what would they be I don't personally consider it um, an accomplish- accomplishment, but I know that, you know, the potting, the cannabis. That, but <laughs> There's that no supply. There's no supply. So, I mean, I don't know if it would be considered an accomplishment, well, but they did they manage to, you know, get through the legislation. And it's it's a pretty big in terms of if you're like a political nerd in terms of legislative sure. victory. It's a big accomplishment. Okay, they got I one. <laughs> I don't two even more. know what else. Right. Um, they change, you know, the, the the credits for the um, the little ones, the kids, uh, the babies. The oh, I forgot the name, extra but the time universal and, oh, yeah, uh, the, yeah. children uh, credit something. Um, I didn't really look into the details because I don't. But have the kids, fact that but, you can't name three off the top, which yeah. if you ask me, I'd be like pot. I mean, really, I think they're going to struggle because they're going to have to say, "What have you gotten done?" Well, I'd be, I, I'm on the other side showing what they have not gotten done. So I haven't spent much time thinking about their accomplishments. Right. That said, I do think that under extremely difficult, unprecedented challenges, they did do a fair job of getting through NAFTA 2.0. Yeah, that is true. And we still have yet to see the results of that. I don't think we're going to know uh, what well, the results of that tariffs, for a long so time. Yeah, we, we still, still have tariffs. And and trust me, the businesses that have them are are sweating bullets. Yeah. So, And thank God for Christian Freeland, because if it well, was not for her, I'm not sure that the deal would have gotten true. I don't know. I'm not, uh, I'm not so willing to put her... the lead negotiator who's been <laughs> negotiating these agreements for the last 25 years, Steve Rahul. Mm. Yeah. All right, guys, I got to leave it there. Thank you very much, Maryam, and thank you, Jillian. I don't know if I'll see you before the holidays. Oh, happy holidays. Happy, happy holidays. Mer- no, we say Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. All right, guys. You're listening to On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio.